continue that today. We're going to close out this series today by talking about our extraordinary mission that we have as Christians. So uh, if you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 1. And uh, Acts, as you know, is the continuation of the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke, uh, it introduces us to, to, to Jesus and his ministry and his time here on earth. And then Acts uh, continues that story, but the, the, shift, uh, the, the focus shifts onto uh, Jesus' followers and the things that they did after he left them. And the passage that we're reading today is the, is the last recorded words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven. So we're going to start reading uh, in verse 4, and we're going to read down to 11. It says, While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said, for, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Here's the important part. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you've seen him going. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your sweet spirit that was so present today during our worship. Lord, I could hear the congregation singing and pouring their heart out to you, and I believe that you came and you met us today. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have in your name, the power that we have in your name. And so, Lord God, as we look in, in Acts and we, we examine this passage of Scripture and, and look at what our extraordinary mission is, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just speak to hearts today. Lord, I pray that you would anoint the ears of everyone in this room to hear what you would say to them. Lord, I pray that you would anoint my tongue and my mouth to say only the things that you would have me say. And Lord God, we want to hear you speak, and we want to feel you move, and we want to be your people. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, you all know that in my family, we're a football family. I know Kentucky's more of a basketball state, but we're a football family in my family. So I'm going to start with a, a, a little story about the hated 1960 Packers. I say hated because I'm a Bears fan, and so uh, in 1960, uh, they lost the NFL championship game. They had a lead, they go into the fourth quarter, they blow the lead, and they end up losing in the final seconds of the game to the Philadelphia Eagles. So as you can imagine, that offseason was probably not a real fun offseason for the Packers and their fans. Uh, they were sitting there thinking, man, we blew it, we were this close, we almost had that championship. And so, you know, it was really probably kind of a demoralizing time for them. So in, in June, they come together for training camp. And at this time, they had one of the best football coaches that, and, coach my, and football minds that has ever taught the game, and that was Vince Lombardi. And so they came into the first day, and they thought, man, what is he going to do? Is he going to fuss at us and, and, and tear us up for, for not finishing and, and sealing the deal? Or, or what's he going to do? So he walked in, and, uh, and, and, and he, he had a, a bag with him. And, and they were confused. They said, what is this bag? So he reaches into this bag, 
and, uh, and, and he reaches into the bag, and everybody's watching. They got their, uh, they're, they're holding their breath. We've got to see what he's going to do. And he pulls out a football, just like this, and he said, this gentleman is a football. Duh, right? These are professional football players. I think they've seen one of these before. They knew what it was, and yet he felt like, listen, we've just suffered a terrible loss. We were this close, but we need to get back to basics. So he said, this is a football. Let's start from the basics. It's pigskin. It's full of air. We can throw it. We can kick it. This is what we're going to need if we're going to win the championship this year. Then he said, let's bust out the playbook. So he had them all get out their playbooks, and, and, and he opened it. He said, let's turn to page one. And he said, this is a playbook. It has a chart. It has all the things that you will need to know to have success in football. And of course, one of his players at this point just couldn't contain himself. He, he cracks a little wise. He says, whoa, 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 coach, slow down. You're going too fast for us. You know? But he knew that if we don't get back to the fundamentals, if we don't get back to the basics of what we're called to do as football players, we're not going to have the success that we want to see. Now, six months later, it paid off. They ended up defeating the, the New York Giants 37-0, won the national championship that year. But it was, they returned to their fundamentals. They returned to what is their primary mission. And he wasn't the only coach to do that. I know you guys like basketball, so I found a couple basketball examples as well. You look at someone like John Wooden, a famous basketball coach. He, he famously started his training camp every year with teaching the, the, the players how to put on their socks and tie their shoes. He did. He said, if you don't know how to put your socks on and line the seam up correctly, it's going to cause blisters. If you don't know how to tie your shoe so that it's tight and secure and it doesn't come off and we don't have blowouts on the court, hopefully, right? Uh, but he knew that if we don't know how to put our socks and our shoes on, how can we hope to have success on the court? And uh, Phil Jackson was another one who, who just drilled home that, that idea that we got to have our fundamentals. We got to have our basics. Now, as Christians, we also have a fundamental. We have a basic that we can't lose sight of, and that is our extraordinary mission. Our mission is to go into the world and to share the gospel, the good news. They use this big term for it, evangelism. You've probably heard of it before. You know, you've got Billy Graham. He's an evangelist. Uh, people talk about evangelicals, and, and so you hear this word and you think, what does that mean? It literally means good news. Good news. We, we get the, the honor and the privilege of sharing the good news with the world. And so, um, you know, we don't have to worry about don't shoot the messenger because I'm not delivering bad news. I'm delivering good news. And so we can't lose sight of the fact that that is our primary mission. So um, anytime you're getting back to the basics, you just want to dissect it. You want to get down into the nitty gritty of it. And so we're going to start at the very, very fundamental level evangelism, the call to share the gospel. Who is that for? Is it for pastors? Is it for uh, ministry leaders? Is it for, is it for uh, people who lead revivals or, or missionaries? No, it's for everyone. Jesus said, you will receive power. Now he was speaking to his group of followers, his specific hand-picked group of followers, but guess what? We are their successors. So the mission that they received, it's not complete. It's not over. So we have that same mission. It's a call that we've all been given. Uh, we all have a call on our life. Some of us are gifted and talented in, in amazing ways. There are people who can work with numbers, and it just comes naturally to them. They can just look at it, and, and they know it right away. 
I was talking with a, a, a gentleman this week, and he was telling me about his youngest daughter, and, and she has a, uh, she truly has a photographic memory. Um, and so he was telling me school has always come easily to her. Uh, she can play just about any instrument because all she has to do is look at a sheet of music and she can remember it. It's, it's in here. Um, he was telling me about uh, a time when she was at school and she didn't think anybody was around. And so she kind of, uh, on her lunch period, she snuck into the band room and she was in her cheerleading outfit, actually, because she was supposed to be at the pep rally that afternoon. But she snuck into the band room and there's the drum kit there. And she said, man, this is a cool drum kit. So she starts wailing on this thing and didn't know that the band director was in his office. And so he comes out and he said, hey, and she said, oh, 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 I'm sorry, I'll, I'll leave. And he said, no, he said, don't stop. He said, keep going, you know, and, and he wanted to know, where did you learn this from? Well, she just, she had that talent. She had that ability. Music, obviously, is part of her calling. It's part of what God has gifted her to do. So we all have specific callings. Some of us are just artists when it comes to working with our hands. You can make anything out of wood, out of, out of stone, out of plaster, whatever you needed to do, you, you're just good with your hands. You know, so we all have that calling, uh, and, and it's specific to our, our, uh, to our setting and to what we're called to do. But we, as a group, all have a calling to share the good news. So um, this idea of being an apostle, uh, it, it's, a, it's a weird word that isn't used as much as it used to be. And there are some who would say, well, I don't have that mission to go share the gospel because I'm not an apostle. You know, I'm not the apostle John, right? I, I'm, just, I'm just plain old John, right? Uh, and yes, the, the apostles were handpicked and they were, they were given a mission. But an apostle just means someone who, who has been uh, gifted to share the good news, to go and, and to start a new work and, and, and to do those sorts of things. And so you can't think that just because I wasn't one of the 12 apostles, I don't have to share the good news. No, you do. You have to. It's part of who you are. And so then the second thing is, is well, let's, let's look at the what of evangelism. Uh, God says you will receive. What did he say you will receive? Power. That's right. Power. Why did God use that word? There are a lot of words he could have used. He said you will receive. He could have said you will receive guidance. He, he could have said you will receive direction. You will receive courage. You will receive. I mean, there's wisdom. There's, there's many things that God could have said you will receive this. And, and all of those things are true. God will give you all of those things. But he pointed out you will receive power. Luke describes the, the infilling of the Spirit in several different ways. It's, it's hard to explain just what it means to have the power of the Holy Spirit living and working in you. In fact, he struggled to find the right words. Sometimes he said, you will be clothed in the Holy Spirit. You know, it, it's not something within you. It's something that comes upon you. And, and they say the clothes make the man, right? You know, you can, you can uh, show up and if you look and you're, you're in your scruffy, you know, sweatpants with holes in them and you got dirt all over you and, and you, you haven't combed your hair in a week and, you know, you're going to send a different message than if you show up and you've brushed your teeth and you're put together and everything, you know, everything's lined up. Your gig line is just right and all that. You know, you send a different message. So when we are clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit, then we should be sending a different message to the world, right? Because we're not there under our own authority. We're there under God's authority. Think about it. Studies have shown that just by simply someone being in a uniform, we, we, we assume that they have some sort of authority. 
You know, when I was in college, I worked for the security department at our, at our school, and we were not police officers. We, we were barely even paid, you know. It was, <laughs> it was terrible. We didn't do hardly anything. We had no real authority, and yet they put us in a uniform, and because we were in our uniform, people would listen to us. We'd tell them, you can't park there, and they would listen to us. We'd say, hey, you need to move along, and they would listen to us. We'd say, hey, stop bothering her. She, she's not into you, guy, all right? And they would listen to us, and they would move on. Yeah, I, I had one of those instances one time. I had a, a young man. He wouldn't leave the girl alone. He, he actually he, he just would not leave, and so I had to physically pick him up and carry him out of her apartment and set him down on the sidewalk, and I said, and I need you to go home, and I don't want to see you again tonight. And he said, okay, I guess you're right. I guess I should go home. I said, I'll see you in class on Monday. So, um, but anyway, um, we receive power and we have this clothing of the Holy Spirit that's on us. Other times Luke says that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's not room for anything else in there. And too many times we allow stuff to be inside of us that has no business being there. And yet when we allow God to fill us, we don't have room and we don't have hidey holes where we can put those little things that we want to hold on to and those things that we probably should let go of. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's no room for that anymore. Other times it says that we will be baptized. And we think about you know, being baptized in water. You know, that, that, that's the symbol uh, for us. And when you are dunked in the water, the water goes everywhere. It doesn't matter what clothes you're wearing. You're soaked. You know, you can try to plug your nose, but water goes in your ears, it's in your eyes, it's in your hair, it's all over you. And that's what it is with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on you in power, it's all over you. So what does that power do for us? Well, when you have power, you have ability to make changes, right? You're the boss, right? Uh, I remember not to, it's been several months ago now. I told Elizabeth, uh, we always have this discussion after church where, where are we going to go eat? And I told her, I said, I'm tired of being asked. I said, I don't care where we eat. As long as we get food, I'm happy. I said, when it comes to eating out, you are the boss. And she didn't like that because she didn't like the pressure of having to make the decision, right? But, but still, you know, I said, you have the power, Right. You have the power to make the decision. And, and there's something about that when, when you feel like, I don't have to go and ask for someone's permission. I have the power. I have the authority. I can just do it. And that's the way it is. When we have the Holy Spirit in us, when we have the Holy Spirit empowering us, we don't have to ask permission. Hey, should I, am I allowed to go share the gospel with them? No. You, you don't have to ask. Yes, just go do it. You have the power. You have the ability and the authority to make that decision. But unfortunately, too often we don't, uh, we don't claim the power that is available to us. We settle for influence instead. You know, as a church, a lot of times we're proud of the influence we have. You know, hey, uh, I, I'm, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm an important muckety-muck in the world, you know, the, the, the mayor knows my name, you know, the governor knows my name, and, you know, I was invited to the Kentucky State Prayer Breakfast and all this kind of stuff. And, and you know, we, we settle for influence when what God has given us is power. You know, and, and so we have to, to realize that God has given us. Why would we settle? We don't settle for anything else. You know, if, if I can have a free upgrade, I'm going to take it. I won't settle for, for the lesser when I can have the more for free. And it's the same way with God. You know, why settle for the lesser when God wants to give you a greater blessing, a greater anointing, a greater power, a greater authority? We've got to claim that. 
The word that, that Jesus uses here is, is, is dynamo, or actually it's dunamis, which uh, gets our, it gives us our word dynamite. It's power. It's power. Um, and so this word, uh, it, it, you know, if, if you've got a stick of dynamite, something's going to happen, right? I mean, you light that thing up. I don't know what it's going to be, but something's going to happen. If I don't throw it, I'm going to lose an arm, right? <laughs> or maybe worse. But I mean, if you've got a lit stick of dynamite, something is going to happen. And when you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, empowering you, something is going to happen. Dynamite gives us the word, or dunamis gives us the word dynamite. It can also mean dynamo, which means motive power. It's something that has the ability to set something in motion, right? So you think about, you think about a car running, and you, you think about the, the, the firing of the engine, and, and Every little explosion, every little harnessed explosion in that engine provides motive power. Something It sets something in motion. It pushes the vehicle forward and gets you to where you're going. And so um, when we have the Holy Spirit on us, we will make a difference with everyone we interact with. When we have the Holy Spirit on us, so thick and so heavy, when we go to work, it's going to change the atmosphere it's going to make an influence on our, on our coworkers, and it's going to make an influence on our customers that we interact with. Everyone you talk to will be changed in some way because of the power of the Holy Spirit that's on you. And so eventually, we see in, in Acts chapter 17, it made such a difference everywhere the Christians went, they made such a difference that they described them as those who've turned the world upside down. Anybody ever known someone that just turns the world upside down? If you've ever had a toddler... You've known someone who turns the world upside down, right? I mean, when, when you go into your house, there's no question if a toddler's been there. All the cabinets are standing open. All your pots and pans are dumped out in the floor. You know, the pantry might be open. There's cereals spread everywhere. You know, you know when the toddler's been there. And that's how it should be with us, with the Holy Spirit. People should walk in and they'd be like, whoa, someone with the Holy Spirit was in here because something has happened in this place. And so that's where we, where we need to be. The next question we ask would be the win of evangelism. Is it something that we can just flip on and flip off, turn it on and turn it off just like a light switch? No. What happened? When did they receive the power of the Holy Spirit? What happened after they tarried? Right? They waited. They said, God, we're waiting on you. Whenever you're ready, we're ready to receive it. They waited in the upper room. They set themselves apart. They didn't say, I know Jesus said we should wait, but I really need to pay my light bill this month, so I'm going to go take care of that, and then I'll come back. You know? No, they didn't do that. They gathered together, and they said, Jesus said, wait, I'm going to wait. And so that's what they did. They tarried. They were obedient. And when they did that, the Holy Spirit came and moved on them. And when they did, when they waited, when they were obedient, they received the power, and the power had an extraordinary impact on the world. All Christians have the Spirit living within us, but not all Christians are empowered. You know, we try to do things by our, uh, under our own steam. You know, we try to do things without, without help from God. We, too many times we say, I've got this, I've got this. I'm one of those people that's, that's like that. Someone asks me, hey, can I help? What's something I can do to help? Nine times out of ten, I'm going to say, it's, it's okay, I've got this, I've got this. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, if it's pride or stubbornness or just plain dumb stupidity, you know? If someone's trying to help you, accept the help. 
you know? And so God wants to help you. And, and, and so God wants to give you the Holy Spirit. God wants to empower you. You know, it should be so on you uh, that, that it should be like it says in Scripture, where we are in Him and we live in Him and we move in Him and we have our being in Him. And that's what happens when you have the Holy Spirit on you. Some of us, we sit around and we think, oh man, I wish, for, I, I wish it was like it was back in the good old days. You know, we think about some of those church services where, you know, they, they, you, you couldn't get people out of the church. You know, the, the praise team wouldn't come off the stage. The spirit's moving. People are crying. People are running around. We had a little bit of that this morning, you know, had a good move of the spirit, you know, and, and we think, why isn't it like that more often? Well, let me, I'm, I'm going to share a, an unpopular opinion with you. All right. Maybe the spirit isn't on you in the way he used to be, but because you quit using him. Right. I mean, there, there's a principle. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. You can work out until you are big and buff, like, like Mr. Michael down here on the front row. But if he quits working out and if he quits going to the gym, all that muscle is going to begin to break down. It's going to go away and he won't be as strong as he is now. Right. And it's the same way. And, and you guys know this. If you have a skill or if you have a talent or an ability and, and you use it frequently, what happens? You get better at it. Right. And it's the same way with witnessing. When we share our faith with others, we get better at it. It becomes easier because we're used to it. When I was in school, I was a, a, the band nerd. You know, I, I wasn't a sports guy. I loved band. Um, in, I, I believe it was third or fourth grade, they, they said, hey, we're having band signups. If you want to play, come and play. So I said, that's me. I, I've always wanted to play music. I loved music. I played the record player until I broke every needle in the, in, in the house, you know. So after that, I thought, hey, now I can actually play an instrument. So we go to the thing, and I go to sign up, and I saw that really cool-looking saxophone over there, and I thought, man, the saxophone looks cool. And then Dad saw the price tag, and he said, why don't you play the trumpet, son? So I said, okay, I'll go play the trumpet. And I played the trumpet. I played, I played the trumpet all the time. I, and, and then I, I, once I felt like I had that under, my, uh, under my, my, my coat and I had that mastered, I moved on to the next thing. I taught myself baritone. You know, and, and no one taught me baritone. I just I took the treble clef music and the bass clef music. I set them side by side and compared them, and, and I taught myself how to play the baritone. And then, then they said, hey, you're going to be the, the low brass section leader. So I thought, well, I probably ought to learn how to play the tuba if I'm going to be over that group too. So I taught myself how to play the tuba. Then I, I, I'm in the jazz band, and I go to college, and, and they said, hey, listen, we don't have any baritones in the jazz band. If you want to play in the jazz band, you're going to have to learn this uh, bass trombone. So I taught myself the bass trombone. So I learned how to play all of these instruments, and it was a huge part of my life. I mean, I was the band nerd. I, I was the guy that was, I was in the pep band. I was up in the stands every, uh, every football game. I was at every basketball game sitting up in the bleachers. I was playing. I was goofing around, having a great time. But then there came a point in my life where I quit. When I was in college, I thought, I'm not a music major. This is distracting me from my studies, from what I'm actually here for. So I quit. I dropped out of the band. And here I am, it's several years later, and if you ask me to pick up a baritone today, you might tell me to put it back down. It's been so long, I've lost that skill and I've lost that ability. And we can't do that, and we have a tendency to do that. See, when we first get saved, we know a lot of other unsaved people. Why? Because those are the people we were hanging out with. So it's pretty easy to go and find somebody who needs Jesus when you first get saved. But the longer you've been saved, the harder that is because you start going to church and you start hanging out with other people who think and feel and believe like you believe. And so it gets a whole lot harder to share the gospel when someone is a complete stranger. 
And so we get out of practice. And yet if we desire to have the Holy Spirit on us like he was back in the beginning, that means we just got to start flexing those muscles again. We got to use the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel, to share the good news with others. Cars are amazing. I love old cars. I love, I love looking at them. You know, I, I'm not rich enough to collect them or anything like Jay Leno, but I like cars. You know, I like looking at the engineering that goes into them, especially some of these like really high-end cars. You can look at some of these high-end performance BMWs and, and these racing cars, and, and you look at the exacting engineering specifications that they put into a car. The, I, I even read not too long ago that uh, people enjoy the, the feel of, of, uh, of the power of the engine of a vehicle so much that some car companies are, are building it in so that when you rev the engine, it pumps a little bit of that engine noise into the speakers so that you can hear, really hear it revving. Uh, there's another car where instead of doing that, they have a little flap. And when you, when you really lay on the gas, it opens that flap up so that you can really hear that engine roar. You know, people like the power of the engine. But let me tell you something, as cool as that car is, as powerful as it has the potential to be, unless you apply a little power, it's not going anywhere. You take the battery out of that car, it ain't moving. It's just not going to work. And so it's the same way. You know, God has designed you. He's perfectly engineered you to be who you are and to be in the context you're in. And as, as much potential as you have, if you don't have any power in you, you're not going anywhere. Um, I always like the, the, uh, watching the... the uh, the, the medical shows, medical dramas. I used to watch House a lot, and back in the day there was ER and Doogie Howser. I mean, there's all kinds of medical shows on the, on the TV. And, and one of the things I always loved was when they'd bust out the little heart paddles, right? They, they put the, the jelly on it, they mix it all together, they get it up, and you hear that thing start whining up. It goes, and you knew something was about to happen, right? I always loved it because they were like, clear, it was like, get out of the way, Right? Because I'm about to apply some power to something. And that's what we need to be doing in our world. I mean, when we walk in the room, people ought to start hearing that buzz, that woo. And they need to say, you need to get out of the way because something's about to happen. And if you were a guy and your heart was already going, you didn't want those paddles on you because it was going to rock your world. But for the guy who was dead, the power is what brought him back to life. And that's the power that we have when we have the Holy Spirit within us, we can, we can help bring the dead back to life in Christ. And so power, it's, 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 it's what we need. Then we look at the, the why of evangelism. We need a purpose and we need a people. We believe that God created the world. We believe that he, he formed the, the oceans and the mountains and the skies. And we believe he created all of that. When he was done creating all the animals and the plants and the fish and the birds, he then created Adam. And what was the first thing he did? He gave Adam a job. He said, hey, I want you to name all these animals. I want you to watch them and, and take care of them and husband them. All right? So it doesn't matter what president brags about how low he dropped the un unemployment rate. He's not as good as God because God had unemployment of zero, right? He made Adam and gave him a job. No one's going to be better than that. But Adam needed a purpose. He needed something to do. And then beyond that, he, he knew that Adam needed a partner. He needed someone to go through life with him. God has designed us for whatever reason to need relationships. 
You know, um, I can go, and, and if, I'm, if I'm wanting to buy something, say I wanted to go out and I want to buy a brand new TV for my house, all right, and, and you go out and you research it, because that's a pretty big purchase, right? You don't want to waste your money. So you look up all the reviews, and, and maybe you go down to the store and you start asking the, the salesman about the different features that they have. Um, and and, and one, one thing I like to do is I always like to go on Amazon and I read the reviews and, and what, what happened. You know, let's see your experience. And I like to see how many stars they got and were the majority of them this way. Are there a lot of lemons out there? Did they have ones that broke? And, but you know what's going to hold even more weight than the opinion of a stranger is going to be the opinion of someone I know and someone I trust. And so it's the same way. When it comes to something like your faith and, and your spiritual health and your spiritual well-being, hearing something from someone you trust is much more impactful than hearing from, from someone who's a stranger. I could listen to the best preacher in the world. He could, be, he, he could just hold everyone enthralled and be the best storyteller and, and be able to dissect Scripture perfectly. But if I don't know him, it's not going to have as much weight with me as if my mom or my dad comes and shares something with me. Or if my best friend comes and says, hey, you've got to meet this guy Jesus because let me tell you what he did for me. It's going to have an impact that goes far beyond what a stranger could ever do. We need something to do. And one of the things that God has designed us to do is to share his gospels, to share his news with others. At these step meetings the other day, I, was, I have been tasked uh, at most of these meetings to, to run the slides. I get to be John Medcraft. I, I just put on my best John Medcraft beard, and uh, I try to you know, get all dressed up, look like him, but, because I run the slides at these meetings. And, and many times... Uh, if there's something for him to do, I will tag Ben in on that. I'll say, hey, Ben, can you run and do this? Or, hey, Ben, the, the guy who's on cameras is running late. Can you jump over there? Can you run the cameras? And when you give Ben something to do, man, he is good to go. But on Friday when we went, everybody was there. There weren't any jobs for him to do. And so he drove me nuts the entire time. He's like, Dad, what can I do? He said, he said you think they need a bass player? Or do, you know, do they need someone on cameras? What can I do? Do I need to go get something? He was driving me batty, you know, because we need something to do. And, and that's, that's because God has designed us not to be lazy, but to do stuff. And, and God has designed you not to be lazy, to share his good news. And so we need that. Now, I think it's interesting that Jesus asked his disciples to be witnesses, and even in those times, they were familiar with the court system, right? So he didn't ask them to be judges, to sit in condemnation over someone and to read the charges. He didn't ask them to be the jury, right? I don't need you to issue a verdict. I don't need you to be the prosecuting attorney. I've already got the devil for that. He's already pointing his finger at everybody he can. I don't need a defense attorney. That's my job. What I need is I need a witness, I need someone who can come, sit on the stand, and can share their firsthand experience of the goodness and the power of God to make a change in someone's life. He called us to simply tell others what you've seen. You watch these courtroom dramas, and many times the, the attorney will be asking the witness, and they'll say, uh, t tell us on Thursday at 10 p.m. what you saw. And of course, you know, the witness will start explaining other things, and they'll, they'll cut them off. They'll say, no, 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 I don't need any speculation. I don't need interpretation. Just tell me what you saw. It's a simple task. And that's what we have to do. We were not there. We did not see Jesus with our physical eyes. But I have seen the effects of Jesus in my life and in the lives of those around me. And so that is what I'm supposed to call to witness. The most powerful tool in your arsenal when it comes to witnessing to others is your own story. 
Now, when I was younger, I would hear people get up and they would share their testimony. They would tell the story of how God delivered them miraculously from substance abuse or uh, they, how they ran away from home and ran away from God and then God brought them back in a wrenching way, almost like a retelling of the prodigal, prodigal son story. And man, this, these were cool stories. I just loved it, but I was a little jealous of it because that wasn't my experience. I never got caught up in drugs. I didn't join any gangs unless you consider the symphonic band a gang, you know. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have that kind of dramatic telling of how God rescued me from some sort of terrible circumstance. But then I realized one time that I have a different kind of testimony that's just as powerful because I come from a godly family. I have parents that loved God and taught me how to love God and serve him. I have grandparents that did the same. In fact, when I was preparing for this sermon, I pulled out one of my grandfather's old commentaries on the book of Acts. And I flipped back and I saw right there where he'd written in the margins. And, and, and I, I wanted to share this because here we are. We're talking about witness. We're talking about power. I want to share what my grandfather wrote. Best I can tell, it was in the late 60s uh, because this book was published in, in 1965. So it would have been uh, after that time. But he wrote the first two chapters that he's writing about the book of Acts are given to waiting and receiving. You wait for the Holy Spirit and you receive it. And then the remainder of the book is given to witnessing. The essence of this book is power and witnessing. You can't witness without power, and you can't keep the power without witnessing. That's my testimony. That's my heritage. I come from a lineage of people who've been blessed by God, who have served God faithfully, and then have seen the results of what happens in your life when you do that. That's my testimony. And so I don't have to be jealous of anyone else. When we witness, this, this word witness, the, the, the word that Jesus spoke was martyreo. I apologize for the Greek there. But it's where we get the word martyr. And it, and it initially just meant a witness. But it was because of the experience of the early Christians that this idea of a martyr came to mean someone who was going to suffer because they believed it that much. You can tell me to stop proclaiming Jesus' name. I'm, I'm not going to stop. You can threaten to throw me to the lions. I'm not going to stop. And so now we've got people that, that are saying, well, I'm a martyr for my political cause, or I'm a martyr for this, or I'm a martyr for that. Uh, I'm a martyr because my wife fusses at me for not doing the dishes. No, martyr, it, it came to mean what it means because of Christians and how firmly committed they were to sharing the gospel with others. And last, if the musicians want to come up, uh, we're going to talk about the where of evangelism. When, God, uh, when Jesus spoke to his disciples and he gave them this task, he gave them this mission, he also told them where you need to go, right? He said, I don't want you to sit here in this little neighborhood and only reach, you know, one, two, our few, and no more. You know, it was no. The, 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 the goal is to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And so God gave us a, a, a huge task, really. I mean, think about it. You know, God wants us as Christians to reach every single person alive on this planet. At this point, there's nearly 8 billion of us on this planet. And so our job isn't done until all 8 billion of them have heard the name of Christ and of what he can do for them. Our job is not complete. It's a huge task. And think about it. It's actually easier for us than it was for them back then. Think about the limitations they had, geographical limitations. Just simply traveling from, from region to region back then was dangerous. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, hey, listen, on my missionary journeys, I've been shipwrecked three different times. 
I've been in one little fender bender and I don't ever want any of that again. I can't imagine being shipwrecked three different times. They had geographical limitations. They had physical limitations. You know, now we have, we have sound systems. I can stand here and because of a microphone and, and some electricity and, and Mr. Bill working his magic up on the soundboard, I can just speak in a normal voice and every person in this room hears it. An evangelist can get on TV and because of the power of technology, he can, he can preach the gospel and it can be broadcast all over the world. They didn't have that back then, but it didn't stop them. They said, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about this man. Let me tell you what he did for me and let me tell you what he can do for you. They had legal limitations. They were, the Jews were not a favored people. And, and then even within the Jewish community, you had the Jewish leaders saying, do not speak in Jesus' name anymore. And that's where we get the, the story of Peter and John saying, listen, you can say what you want, but we will not stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. They had those limitations. There were social limitations. They were an oppressed people. They had no political power. The Jews were not uh, some, some powerful movers and shakers in Rome. No, they were, they were a conquered people. They were, they were worse than a Roman citizen. And yet, they went out and they shared the gospel. And, and even then, the disciples, they weren't the best and the brightest of the bunch, right? I mean, if you wanted to pick some people to be on your team, you probably wouldn't have picked Peter and James and John and the rest of them first. They weren't educated. They didn't have any clout. They didn't have any influence. I mean, just reading through the Gospels, you see how many times they, they don't even get it when Jesus explained it in black and white to them. They're that dense. And yet those are the 12 that God chose. How many of you guys are glad that Jesus picked, picks dense people? Yeah, I am too. But they had these limitations, but they did not let them stop them. Despite all the challenges they faced, these disciples went out. They were God's witnesses, even unto death. And so we find ourselves in a place where we have to pick up the mantle. And we have to continue doing that. We have to continue sharing the gospel, but we don't have to do it under our own power. I thought it was kind of funny uh, in, the, in the passage of scripture, what we read after Jesus ascended and was taken into heaven, it said all the disciples were standing there. They were looking up. I imagine they probably had their jaws hanging open. Ah, when's he coming back? Right? That's a very natural response. I'd have probably been doing the same thing. They'd been with him three years. They'd seen him heal people. They'd seen him walk on water. They'd seen him calm a storm. They'd never seen him fly before. That was a new one, right? And yet, the angel said, what are you doing? Quit just standing there with your mouth hanging open. You're not going to catch any flies like that. I mean, you need to go out and, and do what God told you to do. You need to witness. And we have to do that as well. So, if you have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you've never received that, and you desire it, today is a day when that can happen for you. Because God's not holding it back. He's not waiting till you've punched it up and you've left. You don't have to be a level four Christian before you get your baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? There are some who are saved and they receive the baptism at the same time. Why? Because God has a plan for them. He has a mission for them. He needs them to witness for him. And he says they need the power right now. God can give you that power as well. Or maybe you've been in this house and you're feeling a little dry and you're feeling a little parched. You're feeling like, I'm not as strong as I used to be. You know, I used to be a, a Christian superhero. I'd tell everybody about my faith. 
but I haven't been doing that lately. And so those muscles have atrophied. I'm not as good as I once was. And so today is that opportunity. So if you are in this house and you would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want you to come on down here to the, to the altar. And if you have received the Spirit in the past, but you say, God, I need a fresh outpouring of your Spirit, because there are still people out there that need to hear your good news. I still have coworkers that aren't saved. I still have cousins that are on their way to hell. I still have family members that just need to get a hold of you. If that's you today, I want you to come on down here to the altar and we're going to pray. And guess what? God will meet you here in this altar. He already has met us in this place. You know, if, if God doesn't say anything else to me today, I know, already know that I've touched the heart of God today. Standing right there by that pillar, I felt God speak to me. Uh, I was hoping nobody was watching because I, I lost my manly mask and I was crying a little bit. God will speak to you and he will meet you today. So everybody stand. And if you would like to be and pray for the Holy Spirit, I'd like you to come forward. If you're on the prayer team and you would like to help us pray for this.